right. And my mother knew what she was doing. One day I memorized first Peter 1, 18 and 19. I was only 10 years of age. It says, and we are redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And even at 10, I had sufficient analytical skills to know that the value of an object is based upon the price someone is willing to pay. And when it dawned on me, little little guy in the inner city, that God sent what John 3 calls in the Greek the monogenes, the only one of its kind, his only begotten son to die for me. No one was ever able to make me feel inferior again. Moreover, moreover, I I said, I got to get to know this man who died for me. So now it was not just for the nickels that I started reading the word. It was to try to find this man. And and as I searched the scriptures, it was like a a, a Zeffirelli movie with the man with no name. I I, I kept finding him in, in Genesis, he shallow. In Exodus, he's the I am. In Numbers, he's the star and scepter. In Deuteronomy, he's the rock. In in 1 Samuel, he's the Lord of hosts. In Job, he is the redeemer. In Psalms, he is the great shepherd. In Proverbs, he is the beloved. I kept running into that man. And Isaiah, he's wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Micah, he is the one who's going forth of old, is from everlasting to everlasting. In Zechariah, he is the branch. In Malachi, he is the messenger of the covenant. Matthew calls him savior. Mark calls him son of man. Luke calls him the great physician. John calls him the word made flesh. Acts says he is the one who will mobilize us to witness. Philippians says God has exalted him so that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First Thessalonians says he is the one who will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and Jude says he's able to keep me without stumbling or slipping and present me without fault, without blemish before the presence of his glory with unspeakable ecstatic delight in triumphant joy and exultation. And John said... I was in the spirit on the Lord's day on that isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. I saw him high and lifted up. He is Alpha. He's Omega. He is beginning. He is ending. And so because I kept meeting that man, my hope does not rest in the various branches of government 
executive, legislative, or judicial. My hope does not rest in the alliances that we build. My testimony is simply this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest flame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All of the ground is sinking sand. All of the ground is sinking sand. God bless you. I thought Barry Black could state it better than I could. The value of any object is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay for that object. We know that God has placed the highest value on us as the creations that were made in His image because He was willing to pay the greatest price of all, the death of His Son on a cross. You see, the cross is the ultimate demonstration that we are loved. It settles the issue once for all. At the very foundational part of our life, all of us need to know that we are loved, that we are valued. And the God of this universe loved us so much that He paid the ultimate sacrifice by His Son coming and dying an excruciating death on a Roman cross so that we might be put back into a right relationship with Him. The cross is the ultimate state demonstration that we are loved. In these days, starting last Sunday and leading up to Easter, I want us to look at the glory of the cross. I don't know how to describe this to you, but when you look at the biblical writers, it seems as if they look at different angles of the cross and they see its glory in different ways. I want you to know this morning, I want to just shine one spotlight today. And it is a spotlight that teaches us this very truth that part of the glory of the cross is that it is the ultimate demonstration that we are loved. Part of the glory of the cross is the love that was established and set for us, even those of us who live 2,000 years later. The Apostle Paul speaks to that in Romans 5, 6 through 8. And he says, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still 
sinners, Christ died for us. I want to read it again. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I'd like to read it one more time. I want to make sure. It occurs to me as I preach these messages that my thoughts have been here all week and I go, oh, I get that. I get that. I want to read it again. I want you to soak this up. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Brother Barry, for saying amen. That's that signal for the preacher. You can move on to the next point. We've read it three times. We get it. There's several words or phrases that I want us to think about in these next few moments. And the first word is in verse 8 when it says that God demonstrates His own love toward us. Demonstrates. God's love is not simply an emotion that He feels towards us like a warm, fuzzy feeling. It is a love that is active, that has action behind it, that does. God didn't just look from heaven in the midst of our pitiful state and went, Oh, I have such emotion for those people as they are separated from me. No, God took the steps in action to do what was necessary to bring us into a right relationship with Him. He did something. It is a demonstration. Um, this month, our mark of the disciple is demonstrates love. So if you just like come in this Sunday and you went, what's all this about? Well, there's several things going on up here, but the big love is about God teaching us this month, focusing on that and saying, God, teach us to love. Uh, we've talked about this as a staff, and our thoughts went to the book, The Five Love Languages. Some of you have copies of The Five Love Languages. It says we express, share love in five ways, quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, receiving gifts, physical touch, uh, part of what I realize is that God demonstrated His love for us in all of those ways. Uh, 
But the reason we say you need to demonstrate love is because there are different ways that you need to do something. And so uh, last week we focused on the L and we said lavish. Lavish, give gifts. And it was based on the five love languages where it says receiving gifts. Some people, Maddie, their gift is, their, their love language is just receiving gifts. It happens to be the little woman I'm married to right now. And have been for a while and will continue to, until he takes me out. Is what I meant to say. Not like right now. Um, Byron's going to share this later, but the oh, I didn't mean to steal his thunder. But he left, so anyhow, apparently he thought, well, I've already heard this. Uh, o is to open up your life, and we wanted to equate that to quality time. Spend time with people. And so we're going to go on to talk about words of affirmation and acts of service um, but I am struck when we come to this scripture that, that God shows or he proves his love by demonstrating it by an action. It was more than sentiment. And so it is for those that we are to love. John stated it in first John three eighteen when he says, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. God's kind of love demonstrates itself. So one of the words that I thought about in our scripture was the word demonstrates. Another phrase that strikes me and we see it throughout is the last phrase where it says Christ died for us. He died for us. Uh, One of the most basic biblical truths that we need to understand, and we state it this way, that Jesus died on the cross for us or for me. He died on the cross for me. And the scripture says that throughout, but here's one of the clearest ones, that Christ died for us. That preposition for could also be understood to say that he died on my behalf. He died for me. He died on my behalf. The scripture, and we'll see this in the different sermons on the glory of the cross. The scripture also says that when he died for me, he died in my place. Not only on my behalf, but he died in my place. It should have been me that was on the cross. And Jesus, out of love for me, took my place. He died for me when I was the sinner. That should have paid for my sin. And so the cross demonstrates God's love for us. In fact, verse 6 says, for when we were still without strength. And I believe what Paul means by that is that when we could not save ourselves, Jesus did what he had to do in dying for us to make our salvation possible. One of the things is for the last several weeks as I've studied the scriptures on the cross, one of the things that strikes me, and it's this thread, is that God's love and the cross are invariably connected in the scripture. And so... God's love and the cross are connected. And so here in Romans 5, 8, 
But God demonstrates His love, His own love for us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us. How do we know that? He died for us. There is a connection between that. And I think the one writer in the New Testament that strings that together is, interestingly enough, John the Apostle, who, if you remember in his gospel, does not use his own name. Do you remember how John identifies himself in his own gospel? He uses this tag, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And so it's John. You see this string of these verses in which John connects love, God's love, and Jesus' death on the cross. And he may use different words. What's John that records John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What does that mean that God gave? It wasn't just that He became flesh. He meant, no, He gave Him as a sacrifice to pay for our sins. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved us. He gave His Son. I don't know if you knew this. There's another John 3.16. It's in 1 John 3.16. And so John, obviously as an old man, writes this, but he says, By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us. By this we know love, that Jesus laid down. What does that mean? That He died. He gave up His life. He laid down His life for us. John would also say uh, in chapter 4, verse 10, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the we got to get here. Propitiation for our sins. If I had to just give a synonym, the best synonym, it would be sacrifice. And this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the sacrifice for our sins. That He died as a lamb was slain in the, in the Jewish temple. He died. So John, and I'm sure there's others, but there's a connection between God's love and the ultimate demonstration of that love, which is the death of Jesus, the cross. The other scripture I think about, John fifteen thirteen, Jesus in the upper room with the eleven at this point. And he says, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends greater love has no one that he would lay down he would give his life he would die and you know I think Paul talks about that and the reason I kind of read Romans 5 several times is so you would understand his train of thought because in verse 6 he says in due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man someone even would dare to die um, so Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, 
that a man would lay down his life for his friends. And what Jesus was saying is, you are my friends and I'm going to lay down my life for you. And I believe Jesus was communicating that in the human realm, there is no greater expression of love than that you would die for someone. I would dare say all of us have someone in this room that we would die for. But there's something very significant that happens right at this point. So Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Something happens. It's very significant. In the human realm, the greatest sacrifice would be for you to die for somebody you loved. (gasps) What Paul says in Romans 5 is there is a divine love that is greater than that. It is the love of God that would die for your enemy. That's what he says. Christ died for us. He died for the ungodly. Those who were in rebellion. When I didn't love Him and I was living apart from Him. That's what He means in verse 8. Well, so in verse 6 He says... Verse 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even die. But the, the contrastive conjunction that says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies with God, God loved us enough To say, I will die to bring you back into relationship with me when you don't love me and you are living life apart from me and in rebellion against me. In the divine realm, the greatest demonstration of love is the death for an enemy. And that's what God did for us. We have this idea, I believe, that God the Father is mad at us. I need to speak to that today. Somehow that God the Father is this mm, father figure that's mad and looking down and waiting for you to do wrong and to bring harm to your life and punish you. And he's, it seems his disposition is that God the Father is always mad at us. And somehow in the in the redemptive story that when God the Father is mad at us and we're in rebellion against Him and there's this impasse of alienation that the the Son said, Father, let me take care of this. And I'm going to go and I'm going to demonstrate my love for them and I'm going to pay for their sin so that, Father, You can love them again. And I'm here to tell you today, that's not the way it is at all. It wasn't that the God the Father was mad at us and the Son somehow paid the price so the Father could not, wouldn't have to bestow His wrath down on us. That's not it. It was that our sin broke the heart of the Heavenly Father and He hated that we were in rebellion and we were alienated from Him. And out of love He said, what can I do? I, don't, I know God didn't ask that question. He knew what He was going to do. But it's like, what will I do? 
It's like a child that is in rebellion that you are willing to do whatever I have to do to bring that child back. What do I have to do? It was out of love for us from the Heavenly Father that He sent the Son to pay the price for our sin. It's the ultimate demonstration of love. And you know what God knew? Most people who heard the message that Jesus had died for them would walk away from the cross without ever accepting the gift of salvation. When Jesus was asked, will there be many who are saved or few? Jesus said, the gate to salvation is a narrow gate and few there are who find it. We're going to talk about it next Sunday. That Jesus died for all. But most will never accept the gift that Jesus paid for them on the cross. And the thing that blows my mind, God knew that. And Jesus came anyhow. And He paid for our sins. Because God wanted to do whatever He had to do that whosoever would come, whatever of His children were in rebellion and would come back to Him, He wanted to make this once for all statement that you were loved. And you don't ever have to question whether the Father loves you. He gave His very best. If you, Man, I, I don't even understand all the Trinity... But it wasn't that the Father just stayed in heaven and said, Oh, Son, you do the dirty work and you die on the cross. Jesus, God died on the cross that day in the person of the Son. That's how much the Father loves us. Out of love for us, the Father sent the Son to reconcile us back to Himself. It was God the Father that took the initiative out of love to restore us into a right relationship with Him. God did not start loving us after Jesus died for us. Jesus, God loved us from the foundation of the world and He knew the plan was that someday I would come myself to die for them so that they would always know that they are loved and valued if for no other reason then God gave His very best in the worst way, excruciating death on the cross, in hopes, in hopes that we would accept and be restored into a right relationship with Him. The cross is the ultimate demonstration that we are loved. The old hymn puts it this way. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified, knowing not it was for me He died on Calvary. The last verse says, Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. The chorus says, mercy there was great and grace was free. 
pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. The cross is the ultimate demonstration that we are loved. And so part of the glory of the cross is love. I told you last Sunday that in these weeks that follow, we will see that all of our spiritual needs are met in the cross. And our need to be loved is the first of those. It settles the issue that we are loved. I would say this morning that it is love that draws us to the cross for the first time that we would kneel and accept the gift of salvation. That God loved me so much. Uh, Paul says it, I believe, in Romans maybe 4, 4, where he says, it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. We could easily put the word... It is the love of God that draws us, His kindness that draws us under repentance, a change of heart that I would accept the gift. And so I would say to you, if you've never knelt at the cross to surrender your life to receive that gift, like Landy, there has to come a point in your life. You can know about it. You can learn about it in church. But the gospel brings us all to the cross. And to accept the gift, we must kneel there. Not literally, but but in a spiritual sense, figuratively. And we must accept the gift. We must acknowledge that we are sinners. And that we are in need of the Savior. And so we must kneel at the cross. We are drawn to the cross by love. I would say to you, and I said this last Sunday, for most of us, that may have been years ago, It is because of the love that we experience here that I would say to you we must stay there. Because it is that love that changes us, that settles that issue that I am of value, I am significance because the God of this universe would send His only Son to die for me. I wanted you to get that feel from Barry Black. You remember what he said? When he came to the conclusion that God sent his son to die for him, he said, no one from that day forward was ever able to make me feel inferior. Satan will lie to us. Well, let me say this. We will, I was about to quote a country and western song, but that's probably not appropriate. (laughs) Something like looking for love in all the wrong places. But anyhow, that wouldn't be appropriate, so I'm not going to quote that song. Maybe I just did. We're looking for that love. And actually the country and western song was right. We will look in all the wrong places. At all kinds of different things and all kinds of people. Looking for somebody that will love me so that I will feel significant. I will be valued. I will be esteemed. And I would say to you. If you have someone in your life. Who's. God has poured their love into that person and they love you through God's love. You take that as a great blessing that you are loved. Um, 
But if you happen to be the preacher's wife, you know every day that person is going to let you down, is not going to love you the way God ought to love you. Can I get a witness for the Lord today? I'm telling you, there may be people in your life that represent God and love you through God's kind of love, but they're just human beings. And they're not going to love you the way God loves you. And if you base your sense of self-worth on that person loving you, oh, just give it a little bit of time, you're going to be disappointed. And your sense of self-esteem is going to be eroded. I taught this to my kids. I don't know if they remember. I hope somehow they intuitively know as we connected brains. No, you know this. That your self-esteem is based upon one truth. That is that the God of this universe loves you. And how do you know that? Because he sent his son to die on the cross for you. You don't ever have to wonder, am I loved? Am I esteemed? Am I valued? It, it, quite honestly, it doesn't matter whether your spouse, your parent, your child, or anybody else in your life, a teacher, any other person loves you. They're going to let you down. You've got to base your sense of self-worth on the fact that the God of this universe loves me. And you should never feel inferior if the God of this universe loves you. And I brought you to the cross this morning to say that's part of the glory of the cross. Not only must we kneel there, I would say to those of us who've knelt there years ago, we need to stay there day by day to understand that it is the statement once for all, the ultimate demonstration that we are loved, the cross. Amen? If you don't say amen, I'm just going to keep going on this point. Amen? amen. Do, do you get it? Amen. You get it? I believe it's one of the foundational truths that we have to learn, and we learn it as we come to the cross and we see the glory of the cross. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to pray. The altar is open. Byron and I are at the front. If you need to visit with us, if you need to come and surrender your life to Christ, if you need, as I have said figuratively, to kneel at the cross, we can talk with you about that. You can come to the altar. You can make your decision. Father, today we pray that we would know, that we would know, that we would know that you love us and that you're not mad at us. And so, Father, I pray that we would draw strength from the cross and that we would know that we are valued, we are significant, we are esteemed because you loved us that much. And so we pray that we would live in that. I pray it in Jesus' name.